0: When you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like, would it be physical muscles you'd see? Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us, or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author, and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times, and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. As a personal trainer, I've had the pleasure of having the most colorful and eclectic mix of clients over the last few years. To me, being a coach doesn't involve barking exercises at someone on the gym floor until they're dripping with sweat. Instead, I take a more holistic approach, ensuring I cover not only my client's physical but also mental well-being too. When working in close proximity to someone, it's natural for people to open up about experiences, good and bad. And I always joke that being a personal trainer is also being a part-time counselor too. My next guest is someone who I felt was not only a client, but also now a friend. And I'm so excited to be joined by her today. Saran Jones came to me two years ago wanting to prepare for her exciting new role in the BBC One and HBO series Gentleman Jack. She was a new mum. She was also about to take up a role in a West End play. And it seemed to me as though she was juggling all of these challenges effortlessly. For those who might not be familiar with who Saran is, she is an English actor and producer who rose to fame as Carol McDonald in Coronation Street before going on to star in hugely successful TV dramas such as Unforgiven and Scott and Bailey. She then went on to receive a BAFTA Award for Best Actress for her portrayal of Gemma Foster in the hit show Dr. Foster, which I'm sure many of you loved just as much as I did. And now she's joining me via the medium of the internet to hear how she went from Coronation Street to a much-loved and celebrated star of stage and screen. Saran, how are you doing? I'm in my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. In- Alice. I said to you
1: the only way I would do a podcast with you or with anyone is in bed in full pajamas <laughs> a cup of tea and biscuits um like more and wise and this is the total opposite
0: i know and i'm so sad as well because we really we really pictured that idea of us both being in bed with tea and biscuits what's your favorite biscuit by the way Oh
1: gosh, I would have had, I would have brought like um, rich tea, nice biscuits, and then really big cookies, like Millie's like, cookies, and we would have got Ooh. it all over the bedding, and I would have been comfortable, because I've <laughs> never done a podcast before, so I'm actually pretty nervous, sat in my wardrobe well, in lockdown. Don't
0: be nervous, but welcome, and we're very, very excited to have you. Um, this is a crazy time it's unprecedented is the word that everyone's using which it absolutely is but we're three almost four weeks in now so do you feel like you're falling into a kind of routine now you said you were making sock puppets this morning which sounds very fun yeah.
1: I, I overstretched myself this morning I think um
0: <laughs> I think it's
1: difficult like and this is you know for any mum I've got a four-year-old just four and he is beautiful and wonderful and creative and imaginative and he wants to play constantly so I'm it's finding the balance between me being able to get my work done um my husband being able to get his work done like you know like many parents so yeah this morning uh, we went down to the woods to get our exercise um I had to be uh, in full Minnie Mouse character the whole time (laughs) and then we made sock puppets and we made Marmite and Cheese Sausage Rolls so yeah, I, I, we need a routine so we do do sc- like schoolwork and arts and crafts and I make sure that mm-hmm. we do that Monday to Friday and then on the weekend we open a shop down the bottom of the garden that Mr Monkey runs um Aww. he's one of our toys Aww. and my son goes and buys a comic off him at the weekend so we try we're trying to differentiate but it's weird there are ups and downs and there are still days where I just stop and cry and I'm very overwhelmed by how how long we'll be in this situation. But I think everyone... Everyone's doing that, you know?
0: I was thinking, though, this must be such... Like, for us adults, you can kind of... We understand, you know, as best as we can the situation that's going on. But I always think, and I have been thinking, for children, it's just so unsettling because they don't quite really understand. And everything's all a bit up in the air and mum and dad are both home or, you know, everyone's around a lot more than they were. And it must be really strange, you know, to suddenly, you know, we were talking about how they're now not going to nursery and seeing their friends. That's just such a strange thing for them to try and get their head around. And I really feel for them. And as
1: well, I think that as humans, you know, three, four weeks in, we are starting to feel the the, the loss of human contact and the, mm-hmm. the social need that we all have as humans. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, on our walk, um, on our exercise, sometimes we see some of his nursery friends and it's really difficult because obviously they can't go near each other. So we're, you know, yeah. we're like, oh, hi, bye. Um, nice to see you. How are you doing? And then we're kind of off and it must be strange. And when, when we all come to integrate again, There'll be some issues to deal with, I think, as well as some Mm. beautiful moments of us all just hugging each other. I'm going to come and Mm. hug you. (laughs)
0: I can't wait well I guess with this podcast we're trying to bring some light relief for people and we want to know well I want to know anyway (laughs) the life of um, Saran you know for many of us we see celebrities we see you as though you've just kind of catapulted to success and we rarely sort of acknowledge that there's so much hard work in the background that's gone into your ascent now you described um, in an interview I read that you had a happy working class background and what I would love to hear is how young Saran starting out on had a lasting journey and, and your big dreams, how you went from that to, to landing a role in Coronation Street. So my name's Sarah,
1: Sarah Jones, um, and I'm now Sarah Akers, but um, Saran came later when I had to choose a name for um, equity. So I think even as, you know, much like my son, I, I had a lot of extra energy that I needed to expel and my teachers kind of cottoned on to that and I even though I was quite bright and I was into school it's it, certainly in primary school I I lost concentration so they decided that perhaps drama would be good for me and they sent me to this place called Oldham Theatre Workshop and I attended there from being 10 and it was great because I got to go on weekends I got to go on evenings and I met like-minded people that wanted to sing, wanted to dance, wanted to be other characters and all the extra energy that I had, I really honed at theatre workshop. I, I, you know, I'll i be ever grateful for it. And it's a wonderful mm-hmm. place. Lots of people came from there. And I tried lots of other things as kids do. I tried the recorder. I tried violin. I tried ballroom dancing and uh, some jazz dancing at the dodgy uh, working men's club at the top of our road. <laughs> and, um, nothing quite stuck but thanks to my parents who would come home from work my mum had two jobs um my dad would come home from his job and he would take me on the bus because we didn't have a car at that time drop me off at at the drama class come back home on the bus for his tea and then get back on the bus to come and get me in oldham while my mum would go to work at her cleaning job at night so it was a busy time for them, and now as a parent, I really realise how busy um, mm-hmm. and you know what a sacrifice that was for them. It was easier when we got a car, but yeah, those those moments that I think about my dad, especially in the winter, schlocking back and forth, and then coming back mm-hmm. for his tea, and um, but yeah, that was that was my happy place, and I really found myself there. And then I I went off to um, secondary school and then them life became a bit more difficult and it became more of a sanctuary because I I, I was bullied at secondary school and I, I didn't have a happy time but I still had theatre workshop which was great and I was doing shows and we were doing pro-am stuff at um, Oldham Coliseum and I, I was doing like TV shows there's um, a show called What 90 where I did an impression of Margaret Thatcher um, <laughs> with Michaela Strachan I think she was uh, I'm a McCarroll Vorderman when I was like 11 or something. So I've been doing it for
0: a long time, really. Yeah. There's so much of that that I relate to. I had like an imagination that was, you know, I was always the one that was like creating all these games and families and people. And that's when I found acting, I remember going to this little like kids workshop called Through the Wardrobe, which is just, yeah, I've got such happy memories of it. And it was just that sense of escapism that like, as a kid, to be able to go and be whoever you want to be, and kind of have that freedom was just so nice. Um, and I also have like really happy memories of, of drama as a kid. But you did go on to be hugely successful with your, and well, when you have been hugely successful with your acting career but your first break as I mentioned earlier was on Coronation Street and you burst onto our screens as Karen McDonald what was this time like for you when you suddenly launched into the spotlight?
1: Um, so that was 20 years ago um, I can't believe that I'm even saying that that blows my mind that there are some 20 year olds you know are walking on this earth and uh, that's how long ago when I you know when I put it in people terms mm. that, oh my goodness that's how long ago it was and And I think I I was working two jobs. So I, I'd done a lot of TIE, theater and education. I'd done a lot of one-off episodes of everything Northern. I'd done lots of pantomimes. um, And oh, I'd been in Corrie before as a different character, actually, Mandy Phillips, who got off with a mechanic and then went to the chippy and never came back. And uh, when I got Karen McDonald, I think they'd, they'd had their eye on me to use me as a different character. And, he would, yeah, I was I was a really normal girl, as you say, very working class background. And I'd been to college and loved my B-Tech National Diploma at Higginshaw College. Had a great time there. I would just bought a file of fax and a car because I was working two barmaid jobs. And then Corey came along and I got a three month contract. And my first couple of days, you know, I was suddenly on the set and it was so bizarre it was just surreal because I knew that then it was going to go on for another three months. And and then I got another contract for six months. And I think what happened, Alice, was, and we can come on to this a bit more, but at the time it was a lads, Maggie, um, mm-hmm. Loaded and Maxim and oh God, what else was there? Um, you know, those kind of
0: yeah, like very yeah, 90s, yeah.
1: like, yeah, I mean, bikini shop type things. Yeah. So it was actually the first few months was actually about me. I I was whisked off to Barbados and put in a bikini, and this is so I, I'd been on one holiday to Spain with my mates um, mm. abroad, so it was like wow, what is this? Um, and then I was I got on Stars in the Eyes because they wanted me to do a celebrity special on Stars in Their Eyes, and then they put me in another magazine with bra and knickers on and. You know, they would kind of give you a glass of champagne to get you a little loose. And it, it was kind of that was more important than the storyline in a way. Mm. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I don't. It, it was fun at first. And then I thought, oh, I don't really. This isn't really what I signed up to. Then my storylines became heavier and Karen became much more interesting. And I wanted to stop doing those lads mag things. Um, believe me, there's some dodgy photos out there. I think there's one in a diner where I've got ketchup and mustard squirting at the camera. I don't know.
0: Were well, you sort of fed, fed the narrative at the time that like, this is really going to help your career. You know, if you get into a bikini, oh God, that's really going to elevate your status. That's really going to, you know, push you into into new kind of jobs and, just, and, you know, put you more in the public eye. If I'm being honest, yeah, I do. I think that... And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think
1: Coronation Street was alone in that. I think that all of the soaps used their girls in that way. I was never particularly, um, you know, I I didn't go to the gym. I didn't know about good eating habits. I I hadn't really thought about my body up until that moment. So Mm -hmm. I do think that suddenly you're asked to do all those things and it creates the narrative of, oh, if you're, good looking or you're sexy you know there was the uh, sexiest female awards and all that kind of stuff at the soap awards Mm. so yeah I mean those those seeds were planted in my head really early on actually until I became very aware that I was also winning acting awards and I was being used a lot and my character was becoming popular and then actually the pull of that and the creativity became much more but Mm. thank god that I felt like that because there was no one there the the press office there was no guardian for new young actors and there was no media training and I think there should be I'm I'm not sure that there is maybe there is now but
0: Mm. it was quite
1: a a shock to go from the girl that I was to then this kind of young soap star
0: well I think as well it's kind of the this uh, a sign of the times that like women were just Sexualized. That was something that if you were a, a woman in the public eye, it was kind of expected of you that you would do those sorts of things. And I think, you know, the Me Too movement has a lot to, to be thanked for in terms of, you know, women recognizing that they don't have to take their clothes off to be successful and that, you know, that kind of casting room couch um, environment did exist. And, you know, a lot of women weren't believed in that sense. And I'm not saying that happened to you, but I think, you know, even just that you felt as though you had to do those shoots and do those things to somehow elevate your career just makes me so, so sad. You didn't have any hang ups about your body before then. But as soon as someone thrusts a camera on you and starts making your body the focus rather than your talent, it's easy to see how you can start to then feel some, maybe a little bit more self conscious about things and be a bit more aware about things. Yeah, definitely. And, you know I hung around with a lot of the
1: Hollyoaks girls and they were kind of a lot of them were employed for their beauty I mean a lot of them were talented as well but they were doing a lot of shoots and they had their own calendar and stuff and I was hanging around with um I, one of my best friends michaela Dodd was in Hollyoaks and we used to mm. hook up a lot around that time
0: so mm.
1: yeah I, I think that it definitely seeped into my consciousness I mean I, I still think it does in places, and I think we've come a long, long way. But I still think we have to be aware. And you know, mm. people like you and other podcasts that I listen to are really changing the way for young girls. But yeah, when I think about it, it it really must have had an impact on on someone who never really thought about that kind of stuff. Because I I joined a gym with Mickey, and mm. I lost a lot of weight. Actually, um, had my hair cut short, and. I think I was aiming for Victoria Beckham when she had her hair chopped off. <laughs> I was kind of like Karen McDonald, went a bit posh at one point and started working in a furniture factory uh, and had an affair and that coincided with me going to the gym. And then eventually I I just felt like I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. I felt like my storylines were repeating and I was I loved working with Simon Gregson and he's so brilliant and so wonderful with comedy and I learned so much at Corrie and I did have the best time so I don't want to darken my memories because I met uh, some wonderful people there. are still my friends now but I did feel like I needed to move on and it, and I realized that it wasn't what I got into acting for because I've been doing it since I was eight I never wanted mm. to just be in a soap forever so when I was 24 I decided to leave.
0: And that must have been really scary because I know that we we sort of have this kind of perception of soap stars that they might leave for a little bit, but they always seem to come back. <laughs> They're just, you know, yeah. some characters never seem to die. Did you feel as though when you were leaving, you were like, this is it, this is final, I'm not going to go back. And if that was the case, what was your idea of where you wanted to then go?
1: I, d- I mean, I don't blame a lot of people for kind of taking a break and then going back. It's a steady job it's regular income and Mm -hmm. you know if people have families or you know they've bought a house and you know it's a scary world out there for actors and you know a lot of my actors struggle a lot and writer friends you know my husband's a writer and you know he has uh real big lulls it's really hard so I I think I just I was determined that I I felt like I could go and teach because I'd been teaching so I felt like if I didn't make it, I would then go and teach rather than go and repeat myself back at Corrie. And I would live Mm a, a, you know, a life that suited those means. And I, and I really believed in that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do theater because I missed it because I grew up on theater and, and it just so happened. I mean, you know, there was a period where about for three or four years where I did some dodgy, dodgy shows because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was young. I was so young. And, mm. and as we talked about, I was getting out of this place of not knowing who I was. I kind of found myself at Corrie and then I left and then suddenly I didn't have my university mates type thing and I was like, oh, um, no one's taking me to these auditions and no one's picking me up mm. to take me to the soap awards and, oh, how do I manage myself? Like a baby, really. I, you know, I was like a soap baby. <laughs> I yeah. had to learn how to kind of live
0: again, you know, because I didn't mm. have that support system. And that and that's, that's actually going to lead me on to asking you about that was I was thinking about, you know, you mentioned before you had some friends around you, you've mentioned that your mum and dad uh, were around in, in the early days kind of thing. But one of the things that I think is really crucial to keeping someone in a positive state is having a good support network. And we know that many, many actors can live a very lonely existence, you know, going from one job to the next. And on leaving the soap, did you find that you had good people around you to support you? And, you know, has a support network always been something that you strive to maintain? I think I've, I've got friends from, you know, when I was really young from
1: theater workshop, I, ha- I kept lots of friends from Corrie, some school friends. So, you know, those are the people that you are rooted in. And mm-hmm. my mom and dad, um, my mum's passed away now, but they always believed in me. They always supported me. I could call them at any time and did often, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning to tell them who I was with. And, mm-hmm. um, I remember getting Stephen Gately to sing to my mum. I was with Keith Duffy and I was like, "Mom, I'm with Boyzone. They want to sing to you. And she was like, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I know. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, they just like celebrated all that stuff. Uh, But it was difficult. It was a very different time than Alice. Uh, um, In Manchester, Manchester United and Croy were the kind of only things that were big. And so the press... Mm hounded us a lot we were followed a lot we had press outside our houses so all that was a bit difficult to kind of shake off you know shake off the soap star image and i mm-hmm. think it's not so much now but at the time breaking into drama from being a soap star was very difficult so there was an awful lot of rejections so yeah support systems are beautiful and and really yeah can can change a person's life i think and mm-hmm. I did have it, I definitely did have it but then there was the things that people d- don't understand which is the being followed and the and the being famous and you know a lot of people loved Karen MacDonald and they because she, she was really loud and rough, people thought I was really loud and rough mm. <laughs> and they were kind of disappointed when I had a slightly better accent and I was <laughs> a bit shy <laughs> like oh god you're not like her <laughs> but yeah I've had a lot of ups and downs I think and I've lived on my own, yeah. I've had a lot of Boyfriends that didn't work out. Like any young woman trying to find who, who she was, I think.
0: Mm. I want to know about kind of, you said it was difficult to break from soap to drama and that was obviously your ambition and to do stage as well. But what were the roles that you were most attracted to? You know, we've seen you play quite a lot of characters who all had difficult baggage in various different ways. And I wondered if that was a conscious choice or if those are roles that you just kind of fell into. What kind of roles really started to suit you as you sort of started to find yourself as an actress, I guess? What did you what were you most attracted to?
1: Well, I was attracted to musical theatre and comedy really. Um that's that's what gives me joy um and I know you did it you did musical theater too it really does bring joy doesn't it yeah
0: it's the most joyful thing in the world
1: (laughs) I like that singing and dancing expressing yourself in that way and um having fun but for some reason I tried a few roles like that and there must have just been a darker side to me that um I did a show called Harley Street which was okay and then I did um something called Strictly Confidential which was a Kay Miller show Mm -hmm. and that was um I I don't think I knew what I wanted out of that really it was I didn't know what the tone was and it wasn't until I did a show for Sally Wainwright actually um called Unforgiven that was about a woman who was leaving prison and still one of my favorite jobs beautifully written so Um, good I mean, Sally's writing is fantastic, but the character, it allowed me to really play into to my strengths, which was I wanted to immerse myself in a role and kind of become un- unrecognisable. And mm. I think i that was the first time I felt like I had, like I felt, really felt like the character. Every day I'd go on set and I was Ruth. Mm-hmm. And then that was kind of picked up from the South Bank Awards um, and they nominated me for a breakthrough artist. And, you know, this is years after I'd been in the public eye and I was like, oh, wow, now they now they're saying I'm breaking through. How interesting. But that's when I started to find myself. And I still think about that time and think, oh, so when you finally find who you are and wh- and how you can celebrate your talents and connect with an audience that's when you are truly breaking through to people mm. and i did then go on to quite a few dark parts dark roles i scott and bailey had light moments in it and i and it's still got a really great fan base and i loved that show we did five years and um, myself and leslie and amelia and sally kicked that off as well I love Scott and Bailey me and my mum used to watch it together (laughs) Rachel Rachel Bailey was such a brilliant character Mm. and you know I loved going back every year to that and that was an original idea from myself and my good friend Sally Lindsay Mm. and she ended up playing my sister because she was pregnant with her twins so she couldn't play Janet so obviously we got Mm. the brilliant Leslie Sharp and yeah, it was a great time. And then by season five, I ended up exec producing on it. So mm. I, I really got a lot out of that job. And that's mm. when I started to love producing.
0: I think with that as well, it's interesting that you've recognised elements from each of those and been able to take those into the into the next job. But I think what was really interesting with, was what you said about um, Unforgiven, that it was the first time that you felt Oh, I've really, really gotten into a role. And I think that just shows the growth of you as an actress, as a, as a person, you know, having done loads of amazing jobs before that, but it's only when in your, in ourselves when we recognize that feeling that we can start to say, Oh, you know what? I'm actually okay at this. I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah. And I think it was a, a time in my life where my mom, had got quite sick. So my mom, I had breast cancer in her mm. early 40s. And then she had a slight breakdown and she um, had to go on antidepressants and she'd stopped work around that time. And we were all pretty worried about her. There was a lot of stuff brought into focus around that time. And so it was just a, a probably a, a section of my life where I needed to focus more and perhaps I hadn't focused before that. I think I was taking roles because I was grateful that people were offering them to me. And I was so Mm -hmm. glad that, you know, oh my God, you've given me a lead role, but I'm a soap star. Should I be doing this? And there's a time when you have to stop being so grateful for just being let into the room and actually go no I'm worth this you can invite me into the room and I will show you what I can do and that you'll be pleased that you invited me in and then I'll be grateful for the creativity that we've put into it together rather Mm -hmm. than just being pleased that you know like a people you know people pleaser You, you there's a time when you have to just move on from that and I think that was the time that I did that. I just got goosebumps listening to that. It's
0: like, yes, you are worth it. And I think, yeah, it it takes time for you to find that inner confidence. I know with myself, that sense of imposter syndrome is a recurring theme in my life, where I I go for jobs or I go for things, and I'm like, I don't deserve this. What am I doing here? Oh my god! And then sometimes you have moments where you're like, Hang on a second, I've done all of these things, and I I deserve my spot, you know, and whatever on this thing. Just as much as anyone else. And, and yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a constant battle for some people, but it's amazing that you, that you started to recognize your, your worth and your value in that industry and that you really took ownership of that. And I think that's such an empowering thing that, you know, we all strive for, I guess, in life.
1: If you, if you have confidence in yourself and you believe in yourself, and really it's a recipe that, you know, I read often on your Instagram as well, mm, mm. people see it and then they just trust you to mm. bring the goods. And then because they trust you to bring the goods, it gives you more confidence. And it, that's where the magic happens because everyone's starting to engage properly. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, like you as, as well, I have days where I'm like, what am I doing? How am I even here? But if you didn't have those days,
0: then you'd be a right arsehole, I think. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. Now, Dr. Foster was one of the best bits of TV of the last 10 years, and you won a BAFTA for your role. Talking about seeing your value and and taking ownership of your talent, that was a role that I thought you just shone like nothing else in it was so special to watch and such a powerful piece of drama what was it about Gemma foster the character that you played that you were able to connect with and therefore play her so convincingly
1: i think by that point i i'd started writing myself i'd started producing i was really picking my projects i'd done a lot Mm. more theater so i was taking time out um Mm. and being quite choosy I changed agents after Cory. So, you know, we would really worked together on what kind of things we'd wanted to do. And Dr. Foster came along and the script written by Mike Bartlett, who's predominantly a theatre writer, seemed so different. It was at the time when family projects, like stories about family or relationships weren't very popular. Everything Mm -hmm. was kind of like crime dramas and big aesthetics or bigger pieces. So this small Mm -hmm. piece just about these two people uh, and written by a theatre writer seemed so on TV, yet Mm -hmm. it was also very heightened. So the challenge was, how do I make this Story ping, and also the challenge for Mike and the producers, because it was essentially just about a guy who had an affair. And, you know, and then that spanned through all the episodes. But what it did was it spoke to me in a way that I knew it would speak to a lot of other people. People either have a fear of being left, or a fear of being cheated on, or have been cheated on, or know a story, or rely so much on their relationship and their home and their families to bring them happiness that delving into a world where those things were blown apart was going to affect me and also the people that watched it and i just believed that we could do that in a really interesting way and mike uh, had this idea that he wanted to play play it like medea so the whole point was that it was going to be this heightened roller coaster of a show And it was just so different. And then after that, family dramas and dramas about relationships became really popular because I think it just spoke to people and they knew it. They liked thrillers and they liked big cop stories, but they couldn't relate to them in the way that they could Gemma Foster.
0: Mm. She was just such an amazing character that I think all of us could sort of have some element of being able to relate to. And I just think that that whole storyline you're so right. Some of it was very sort of normal. You know, we know affairs happen. What's so special about this one? But at the same time, some of it was so heightened that you were on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, my God. Um, and I just loved that kind of juxtaposition of those two things. I think it was, yeah, it was amazing. She did all the things that, like, you, you would want to do if you found out that your husband was
1: cheating with a younger woman. She mm. she didn't just think it. She did it. And I think that was the joy of the show as well. Mm. And, you know, she was bloody mental. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> as well as being gorgeous and you know and heartbreaking because her husband had had an affair and she believed mm. in this marriage she was also quite mental and and mm. people do love that so however mike did it, it it really spoke to people and and then to get a bafta at the end of it i just had a baby as well so i i was sat at home with a eight week old baby and a bafta and i was like mm. wow this mm. is a this is a cool moment
0: we'll be back after this Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because I think often in life, uh, and the weird thing about being in the public eye is that sometimes our best moments, you know, where you are, you know, in the top TV programs and you're winning the BAFTAs and you, you know, you're doing all the things that people think, wow, isn't she doing amazing, can actually sometimes in reality be be our worst and be some of the times when we actually have the darkest or most difficult times. I've definitely experienced that. And I and I wondered if there was ever times where you'd ever felt like this, as though you sort of have to keep up a pretense that everything's really wonderful and that you're doing really well and you're being really successful when actually, you know, inside you might be like, hang on a second, oh, I don't feel quite right about this or or just have, you know, moments where you're actually in, in a state of a bit of darkness, but you can't sort of let that on.
1: Well, I think that um, after I finished filming Dr. Foster, I'd had my child and my mum uh, passed away. Um, so I'd finished filming Dr. Foster 2 and my mum passed away and I had my um, my baby. And around that time, uh, yeah, exactly, what should have been like a high, a real high, I'd won a after I was getting invited to, you know, bigger and better doors were opening and more opportunities were happening. I was married. um, Lots of changes had had happened. And I'd gone back to work not long after I'd had my baby to a show where I was then working 14-hour days and trying to have my baby on set. And I'd struggled breastfeeding. And then we had to send my little one to nursery and that didn't really work out. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. And, and I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually on my run about who you think you should be and who you want the public to think you are, who you want your your friends to think you are. And it's a really difficult one to shake all that off and just be who you are. And I, and I don't think I was doing that at all at that time. Mm -hmm. I think I was really, really putting a face on and, well, as you know, when we met, mm. things kind of took a turn for the worst after yeah. after all that. So it was probably bubbling up from then, actually. Yeah.
0: Who did you think people wanted you to be? Um, I think maybe I've ha- always had,
1: you know, the chip on my shoulder of having to prove myself again, because... Because once you find yourself and once you like what I said before of like I started to have the confidence, then when you get into the bigger, better rooms or you get the BAFTA or you get Mm -hmm. more opportunities and, um, you know, more eyes are on you and you're thrust further into the public eye, I think then more pressure comes on. So then you have to fight through that bit to then. Decide who you are again and have the confidence again at the next level mm. and um as well as being a young mom, well, not so young, actually, they called me a geriatric mom at the time oh, so yeah. in my late thirties <laughs> and and a wife you know me and my husband met, and we were engaged after five months and married after mm. nine, so that's a whirlwind as well on top of everything, yeah, and then yeah. to have my mom, who I rang three times a day pass away. Mm. And that kind of, you know, split our family up because my mom was kind of central to the family and I didn't see everybody as much. Um, I mean, we're still all very close, as close as we can be, but I live in London now and they're all north. Mm. So I guess I just needed everyone to think that I was just coping and I was a great mom, and still being the most productive actress I could be and producer mm-hmm. and, you know, everything. I, I was trying to be everything.
0: Yeah. When we met, you were definitely doing that you know you were about to embark on filming gentleman jack you're also doing a play in the west end every night of which the subject matter was incredibly dark you know i kind of i started to sense that something maybe wasn't quite right and you know we had some moments together where i you know i desperately wanted to support you but i didn't quite know how and i was you know still in in my own sort of place as well two years ago and i wondered if maybe you could explain in your own words what sort of happened during that period
1: so we yeah so gentleman jack was a project i really wanted to do and when i heard that i was going to be doing that we we i had to put certain things in place so i knew i was going to be living in yorkshire for seven months of the year and if it was successful i'd be doing that again which hopefully after lockdown um, and we get back to work i will be going to yorkshire so th- there was big changes kind of afoot anyway which makes you you know with a, with a young child and you know, a life you've already set up, you're like, okay, right, this is going to be what we're going to be doing for the next few years, hopefully. And I came to you. Um. So it was a play, Bryony Lavery's play called Frozen. It was in the West End. It was at the Haymarket Theatre. I'd already played there and loved the Haymarket. Smack mm-hmm. bang in the West End. I actually had a choice of what play to do, which still blows my mind that I chose Bryony's play. I mean, it's brilliant, but I always wanted to do a musical and it was so far away from what I thought I wanted to do because it was about a paedophile who killed my daughter and the premise is that I I get to meet him and we have a, a conversation about forgiveness and it's all monologues. So it's just, a, it was a very lonely play in the fact that I get to speak to just the audience. And then I, I have one scene with the psychiatrist and one scene with the murderer. So I was doing that. I was also prepping for Gentleman Jack and I didn't know how strong I'd have to be. I wanted to change my body to be slightly more masculine around the shoulders. I didn't know if there was going to be nudity. So I came to you to say, Let's work on getting me uh, leaner and slightly more muscular because I I was playing a woman who is out every day, working with her hands, walking everywhere. So I I knew there was a certain look I wanted to go for. Mm. However, I was getting up in the morning to play with my son really early and then I'd go to rehearsals, get the tube over to rehearsals across the other side of town do a full day of rehearsals, just me and the director, because it was just monologues. So it was just me and him. My Mm. character cried a lot when you saw the play. So my character cried a lot and was in trauma throughout the whole piece. Then I'd get home and I'd do a couple of French lessons and I'd come and see you at the gym three times a week. Mm -hmm. And I was... Mm -hmm just overstretching myself. I was going to meet Sally to do rehearsals. We were working on the text. I was having to really go through all of the Anlister diaries because it's based on a a real woman who left 5 million words of a diary. So I was having to go through all these diaries to really embed the character, so that when I'd finished the play, I could then go off with the knowledge that I knew what I was doing. And you know, I would come to you and I, I cried on a running machine once. Oh no, uh, it was the, it was the rowing machine. (laughs) I remember it was the rowing machine. It was because I was so tired and, and I was trying to say to you, I need to fit this in because I want to be strong, but I'm doing too much. And, and at the time, I guess you had a different attitude as well. You Mm. took me into the yoga studio, I remember, and said, right, let's just sit down and calm down and let's see what, what's wrong kind of underneath you said to me, you don't have to train today. And I was like, no, but I do. I do have to train today. It was that not being able to let go of anything.
0: yeah.
1: And I guess people didn't understand what I, what I was going through because what I wasn't saying as well is I don't think I'm being the best mother. And also I'm really sad that my mom died and I'm living this fucking trauma every night on stage. Mm. That's Mm. really messing me up and I'm just knackered. Mm. And then I, had a collapse because I wasn't listening to my body um, I had uh, hallucinations which are called episodes where I was starting to see things because my body was shutting down I'd done 90 shows um, there were big groups of people coming to the show after to see me and I had to stop them so I was starting to say could you come see me before the show for a cup of tea because I just I was so tired and the paps were hanging outside the theatre, taking photos of me leaving every night, which was really doing my head in. Because I was like, I'm not interested in, go away. I am just literally want to get in my car. <laughs> and the pressure got to me until I collapsed in front of an audience of, I think it holds one and a half thousand, two thousand, and collapsed on stage in front of everyone. Because mm. I, I just, I couldn't see. I, my vision had gone. It was really scary. Mm. That's kind of how we
0: met. And I, I think, you know, you saying this is just the most incredibly brave thing. And I think often when we are going through something or we're experiencing something, it is so incredibly difficult to verbalize what we're feeling and to even be able to articulate because often and from what I felt like with you, you didn't even quite know what was going on. You know, sometimes our mind is doing one thing and we are trying to play catch up and discover what it is that it's trying to tell us or do. And it can be the most difficult, confusing thing. And actually only in going through something, having to then deal with those issues and then be able to look back, are you able to sort of recognize what was going on? And I think, you know, one of the things that you have spoken about is how you saw a psychologist. And I wondered if you could talk about you know, how something that we see as being, you know, oh God, she's gone to see a psychologist was actually a really positive thing for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was warned a couple of times before my collapse not, not to carry on on the show. Mm. But I was getting letters from people saying, we're traveling from all over the country to come and see you. You're my favorite actress. We're seeing the show again. It was so brilliant. And I, my p- poster was right up in the middle of the West End. And I kept looking at it thinking, oh, God, I've got all I, I, these people are coming to see me. I can't. I have to to carry on. And I wasn't listening to myself. Mm. So when the collapse finally happened, um, yes, I was referred. And even then, I mean, it was quite a scary moment, actually. Um, I I did like an hour and a half chat about how I was feeling and where I was at mentally. Mm. And I'm really good at um, pretending that I'm okay. I I remember the doctor saying this, that... um, there are some big moments in my life like my mum passing away or, you know, things that have happened to me that I that I kind of casually talk about. But actually, there's a lot of stuff deeper going on that I haven't dealt with. And I think the show and the tiredness had just brought everything to the fore because what I tend to do, Alice, is even this morning because I was nervous about doing the podcast, I did a million things because I think mm-hmm. that's how I... Put off being nervous, so the anxiety comes out in this mania, where I um, I have to do loads of stuff because then it'll all go away, or I'll be busy myself so much that I won't have to think about it. And I did that on this enormous scale, and I was offered medication. Um, I mean, and at the time I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to go to therapy and figure out what this, you know, how this has happened.
0: Mm-hmm. It was in the
1: newspapers at the time. Um, I never spoke about it. I only did an interview with Vogue after Gentleman Jack actually to kind of say what had gone on because mm. I was embarrassed and I, and the paper got it, you know, all out of proportion. Even doing this podcast, I know that I'm giving them headlines, <laughs> which is why I find it so, for an, any person in the public eye trying to talk about themselves, you know you're creating headlines and, and actually this... I just think, fuck it for now. This is my truth. The one
0: thing I'd say is in in you doing this, there may be headlines and, you know, it is frustrating and I'm sure it's difficult that you can't just talk about stuff without without getting that. But on the flip side of that, I know that you talking about this will help so many people who feel the pressure that you felt to be everything to everyone and lose themselves at the same time. You know, I can't imagine what it must be like for you to suddenly, you know, your every move is kind of being watched and you feel as though if you put a foot wrong or if you say something that's maybe a little bit off from what you're usually doing, that suddenly that's going to be in the paper. But at the same time, there are people out there who love you and who, in hearing your your experience, will take so much comfort from you showing that level of vulnerability.
1: Yeah, and I hope it does. Because I guess at the time as well, Why I didn't take the medication, this is crazy when I think back, is because anxiety and depression had become quite fashionable. And I say that in a way of suddenly everyone was talking about it. And rather Mm. than me embracing that and thinking, okay, well, everyone's talking about it. It's okay. Take the medication, go to therapy and, you know, start to get better. I thought, I don't want to be another person that's got this fashionable thing. Mm. Um, I don't want to be, I kind of kicked back against it and so what happened was I I went to therapy I filmed the whole of Gentleman Jack I got through and then I had another collapse after filming Gentleman Jack and I went back to the doctors and I took the medication and I and I did it for a year and then came off you know when I felt like the time was right Mm. and because by that point I was not coping at all um, I wasn't sleeping, which is, as we all know, is just the worst thing. Mm. But Anne Lister really saved me as well because she is so positive. And playing that character every day gave me a reason to get up and just push through. And the joy of playing that character really, you know, sustained me. And then, of course, when I stopped playing that character, then I had to deal with the fallout again and... And that's when yeah. my my husband and I said, "Okay, let's let's take this medication and and really take some time off to get better." Mm-hmm. And that's what I did, and I'm so glad I did. And and you know, I just want to say to anyone else in this position um, or who feels like I mean, now especially now, everyone knows what anxiety is because of being in lockdown and because of the unknown. I think everyone can understand it a bit more mm-hmm. but uh, to, to think that I thought oh I don't want to be another person that's got this it's just crazy you have to listen to yourself you have to listen to your body and your mind and take care of yourself because no one else is going to
0: but also no matter how you know there are a lot of people talking about anxiety and depression that doesn't mean that your experience of it isn't any less valid I think that's really really important everyone's experience is different and everyone's experience is valid.
1: Yeah. And and that, I think that's the thing is your anxiety and my anxiety are going to be different. Mm. And it's going to show itself in different ways. And that's why it's been hard for people to connect with it before now, I think, because you can't just say it's this symptom. It's yeah. very different for different people. Mm. And finding a balance is really, really hard, especially with social media and, and the pressure of um, you know, to to do everything really well. It's brave when you take a step back and try and take
0: stock. And this is a great time to be doing that now, actually. Mm. That's what I wanted to ask you about is, you know, the last time we saw each other before recently – I didn't see you for a very, very long time, nor did I hear from you. And, you know, like that whole time in the back of my head, I was thinking, I hope Surround's okay. I hope Surround's okay. And I remember when I got this message from you to say, let's catch up, you know. And I remember coming, I came to meet you at BAFTA and you just were, you were a different energy. You know, you had this inner light that maybe had gone out a little bit when I saw you before. And you had to do the year off. You came off social media as well if I'm right in saying. I do, um, yeah. Do you feel as though that was actually probably one of your bravest steps was, you know, when your career is going in one direction and everything's going up 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 to then have to say, hang on a second, this is all great, but I'm not okay, so I'm actually going to take a step back and have some time off. Do you feel like that was one of your maybe most difficult but sort of bravest or boldest decisions?
1: I think that I had no other choice <clears throat> and I, and I, I wish that it didn't get to that. I wish it hadn't have got to that point. Um, and I hope it doesn't get to that point for so many people out there because I scared myself with what happened. Those kind of two moments in time where I, you know, had real, like I just w- wasn't coping. So
0: um, and it was physical symptoms as well. And that's when it yeah. becomes terrifying, isn't it?
1: yeah and I and so there was just no choice and Mm. I had to get better Mm. and I think that now I I will never let it get to a point where my body shuts down or you know I get so anxious that I feel like I can't do stuff because I I need to learn now that those two moments in my life were um yeah they they would just I never want to go back there so, yeah, I think I've, I've really, I, I've really learned a lot from those times and, you know, who knows going forward, I, I feel like I am much more balanced now and able to do a lot more things and also take a rest, take a break when I need it because life isn't going anywhere. And it's this thing I, I like, you know, if someone doesn't want you because you've taken a little break, then, you know, that's. That's fine.
0: I I could not agree with you more. And I think that is so important is that if you if you don't instigate change within an industry, and I think this is something that we spoke about within the acting industry is if you don't instigate that sense of change where there needs to be that pastoral care and that care for people's well-being above and beyond just how they perform on the job, then I think, you know, nothing will ever change. So you leading the way by saying, I'm going to take a year off and get myself into a better place. And there will be jobs for me when I come back, I think is such a an empowering thing. Looking back on time, you know, across, I guess, across your career so far, what do you think are some of the things that you now do, you know, in having taken time out, having had a, a refocusing, I guess, of, of your approach to your being. What are some of the things that you think, you do now that you weren't doing then to protect your mental well-being
1: um I I mean I still think it's difficult and a lot of actors in my position will understand this and in fact a lot of women men who have you know jobs that take them into 14 hours and um exhausting physically exhausting it's difficult because maybe I do a a four month job, four to seven month job where I'm the lead in a show. And for those four to seven months, I'll be working 14 hours. And then maybe I'll have a Saturday with my son and husband and then a Sunday morning. And then I'll either be traveling back to my work or I'll be learning lines. So I know that I have to look after myself within that bubble that's really that's still a really hard thing to do what I now do is when I don't work I have to make up for the time that I couldn't look after myself as well as I wanted to so even though I'll have massages or I'll do yoga and I meditate and I really try to rest on my rest days even though that's hard with a four-year-old, <laughs> I really try to take rest rest days, and my husband really encourages that. So it's it's kind of the times when I'm not working that I've learned that I don't have to do a million things, and I really want to because I've just my my monkey mind they call it, don't they? Where it's just like, oh, you need to do stuff, you need to do stuff. You haven't been in t- contact with that mm-hmm. person, you haven't seen your friends, you haven't. I have to slow it down, mm-hmm. and I've learned how to do that now.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, learning to say no is a very difficult thing to do, but so so critical to our to our well-being. You're now a producer as well on a lot of different things. Um, some of the stuff you're working on um, and you have a lot of projects in the pipeline. As a producer, do you feel you come into it with the hindsight of, I need to look after my cast members and make sure that their well-being is, you know, really important to the running of the filming and the show?
1: Yeah and and I really try and look after young cast members as well. I really try to lead the way as a as a lead actress within the show. I think you set the tone. So I I try to look after the cast, I try to look after the crew um mm. and make sure that everyone's been treated well. Mm. And yeah, as a producer we've just we've bought the rights to um Jane Couch's book and we're we're taking our time on it. We're in development at the moment but jane has to have care because it's her story so we're we're taking that into account much more than i guess i would have done had had, having not gone through you know what i've been through it yeah it just gives you a duty of care of other people Mm. that that you really invest in i think Mm. and i think it's so important to do
0: What are some of your non-negotiables now when it comes to keeping yourself healthy? And I know healthy is different to everyone, but in your version of what a healthy life looks like to you, what are some of the things that are your non-negotiables? I think that family time for me
1: is the most important thing because I'm away so much that our weekends are just for us. And I don't mean like the three of us just have to be together, but, you know, we can go and see our friends and we can um, have dinner and we can go to you know on play dates and stuff but we have to be together and anchored because those are the times when I feel most at peace and happiest when I'm just being Jesse from Toy Story or <clears throat> you know he's being Buzz Lightyear or I'm Minnie Mouse or whatever and my husband and I are sat on the sofa and reconnecting and um, a Sunday lunch is has become really important you know eating together when you don't get chance to eat together mm. my son has just started to love gravy and that's very important because I'm northern and <laughs> um, so this this makes me really happy and yeah I think connecting with my family my dad and Lawrence connecting with his family is really important um mm. and then us jumping in bed early at least three times a week and even if we've you know a separate bed maybe Uh, because there's stigma against that but if we are not sleeping or we are just tired and I need a good night's sleep and I want to go to bed at nine o'clock and I don't want to put my earplugs in or I don't need to be disturbed by snores then that's okay too to say I just need my space Um, and yoga yoga is my other huge Mm. thing a workout is great but yoga is for my mind too so that that is non-negotiable every Mm. day I do yoga
0: now what you've spoken about today, I think there's a lot of it that's relatable, and I wondered what you would say to the person out there who's probably listening, who you know wants to do it all. They want to be a great mom, a great wife. They want to exercise. They want to do yoga. They want to meditate and have a high flying job and be a great friend and be a great family member. You know, and they're trying to juggle all of those those kind of balls constantly. What would you say to her or him, having experienced that feeling of overwhelm at trying to do all of those things?
1: I'd say. Um, how do you feel? Like genuinely, how do you feel? Because if you're not, if you don't feel strong or happy, or you don't feel motivated in the right way, then there's something wrong. Because that means that you, you need to fix something or change something, even if it's just for a couple of days till you get yourself back on track. But just tuning into how you feel is really important. And also you don't have to be everything. You just don't. And it's better to be a really good something some of the time than grasping at trying to be everything. And, gosh, you know, just trying to be yourself. It's really difficult. Alice, you know this, especially yeah. in the public eye, but just for anybody, just who are you and what does that really mean? Mm. You know, I'm, st- I'm still answering that, but I think those are the two things. How do you feel and who are you
0: mm. inside you just don't mm. have
1: to be everything
0: yeah now moving on to exciting projects that are coming up you mentioned one that you're working on but can you tell us about anything that you're really excited about working on over the next few months or years
1: <laughs> yeah so i had to stop vigil which is a brilliant project from bbc which is a cop show partly set on a submarine rose leslie also stars in that um and sean evans and then gentleman jack too So those are the two big things that after the lockdown, we're just talking about how we're going to finish one project and then get on to the other. Mm. The Jane Couch project that is through our company that we are uh, writing, producing, developing. And we have just bought the rights to another book, which is very exciting. We're just going through the motions of that and hopefully that will go into development. And those aren't projects that I'll um, necessarily be in, but it's just exciting that we've got those things that we I, I can be behind the scenes and develop and really get into that. And then I'm talking to Dominic Savage um, who did the I am um, series for channel four um, mm-hmm. about doing one of those as well, which it, it is very exciting. I think he's wonderful and um, a real gentle, kind soul. So who knows when we'll get back to all these things, but um I know. Yeah. That's what
0: that's what the plan is. Fingers crossed, you get to do the I am because I think that will be so special. I will look out for that definitely. Now, at the end of every podcast episode, I ask two questions, and the first one is, "What does strength look like to you?" Um,
1: sometimes getting through the day. Um, I, I think it, it can be, on you know, on my down days strength is just getting through the day and knowing at the end of the day you did it it can be as simple as that and then the other thing is my mum because Mm. she went through an awful lot and her body took an awful lot on Mm. and she still lives and shines within me so brightly that her strength and she was only 5 foot nothing um, this little thing is still so powerful So where did you get your height from? I know that my dad's side of the family, the the women are tall (laughs) in that side of the
0: family. (laughs) I'm five foot and that's pretty small, but you are really tall. (laughs) I love that answer. And I think she'll be so, so proud of you if she she can see what you're up to now. So that is just really, really special. And then my final question for you is who in your life demonstrates strength the most?
1: I guess I kind of answered that as in mum. But I'm going to go my husband as well because he supports me in everything i do um gosh i could cry how weird well not weird because it's it's, no, it's normal well, he yeah he's just always there for me always supporting me very honest and truthful um with his opinions which i love Again, I'm northern, so I like someone being honest with me. Um, quite brutal at times, but it but it works. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty wonderful.
0: I love that, and I, I know that like getting through something that you got through is only possible with incredible people to support you around you. Um, yeah, absolutely, Sran, so, you are just the most special person. I wish I could hug you now, but I can't. I just want to say thank you so much for being so open and honest, um, but also just sharing so much. You know, like you said, it's it's sometimes difficult for you to come out with these things because there is the sense of where you are in the public eye and, and talking about these things has implications. But I just think if we look at it in a positive way, sharing this stuff is so powerful and helps so many and I'm so so grateful um that you have taken your afternoons to share with us and yeah thank you so much I'm hugging my computer
1: and I think we've just got to think fuck them haven't we yeah
0: I'm
1: (laughs) hugging my computer and thinking fuck (laughs) them
0: oh thank you so much and I will I will speak to you very soon I know soon darling Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.